Thank you for choosing Tox News, your only source into the ecology of freedom by Murray Bookchin. I am your host, Patrick Bateman, or possibly Paul Allen. Who knows? Uh, got a long episode today, so brace yourselves. Probably going to have to break it up into two different segments for the YouTube. So, um, yeah, uh, we got Matt Gates update. The juiciest news piece of 2021 so far, at least as far as holding uh, representatives accountable for the weird acts that they associate themselves with. And then there's a no militia watch update, but I have an article from Tech Tra- uh, Tech Transparency Project uh, coming from the last militia watch update to just kind of get our own little bit of piece of how Facebook has a militia problem. And then to get into the video segments, which will probably be part two of the video, but will be seamlessly segmented through this podcast is the George Floyd trial from the perspective of Michael Knowles of the Daily Wire. I've been covering him a lot lately, but there's, um, I think he's really the only one who had a analysis of the week one of the George Floyd, uh, or I guess Derek Chauvin's trial. That's why I kind of got confused because um, one of his segments is called George Floyd trial when really it's Derek Chauvin's, um, his murder trial. Um, But most of it's really been focusing on, you know, whether police conduct is correct or not. I feel that mostly the uh, Minneapolis Police Department is more on trial than Derek Chauvin is. So, um... But we'll get into that as we get to the segments. So let's begin with our Matt Gates update. Oh, Matty. So in, what was interesting, too, is that I'll type his name in to just, like, see what the fresh articles are. And as I did that this morning, um, I noticed a couple of interesting headlines. One of them coming from Insider, who has Bob Kent, man accused by Matt Gates of extortion, denies accusation. And then from the New York Post, same story, different headline. It says, man accused of trying to extort Matt Gates admits he asked for cash. Literally like two separate perspectives on the same exact story. Um, but if you do read the insider story, it's not necessarily, uh, he denies extorting Matt Gates. But he admits to wanting cash. <laughs> so, like, honestly, both of these headlines are true. It's just that, you know, how, like, uh, social media posting and news stories go these days is that, you know, you, you, you see a headline and that's what you share without necessarily knowing all of the content. So, um, while I don't like that there's separate headlines for the same story going around. Um, I think it's fair that people actually read what they're sharing rather than just, oh, the insider says he's denying the accusations, send. And then, you know, it it actually does say inside the insider article that uh, Bob Kent was looking for $25 million to free Robert Levinson from captivity in Iran. So, um... He just he the the way that he portrays it, Bob Kent is like we weren't trying to extort him. You know, I was just implying that if he had done this for Robert Levinson, that he may earn a presidential pardon or some kind of leniency in his case. Because even I was really wondering, like, what could Bob Kent do, not being in 
you know, government right now, a former Air Force intelligence officer, what could he really do to expunge or exonerate Matt Gates? And, you know, obviously it was only through the good faith of the government that Matt Gates would be um, let off easily if he helped to free Robert Levinson, at least as far as the story goes at this point. Um, so, 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 the articles that I wanted to get into, um, I think this is the same one that I might have covered last week, actually, the Fox News one. Yeah, the Fox News one I already done. So we'll, we'll, we'll move on here to a Slate article, which comes from one of their podcasts. Um, so I thought I had a couple of Matt Gates articles to go through, but I basically summarized the update with Bob Kent. Is that, yes, he asked for $25 million in an attempt to free Robert Levinson, which he claims would be a loan. Um, but his... Uh, ins- uh, he-, he did mention that Matt Gates is under investigation and that somehow freeing Robert Levinson would help him in the in these regards. So not while holding the charges over his head, he just brought up the fact that like, hey, the government will look favorably on you if you help free Robert Levinson. How much of extortion that might actually be? Not sure. But still, there might be a bit of validity in itself of what Matt Gates is facing. So... To get in the article, uh, Slate has the weird Florida roots of the Matt Gates scandal. Um, let's see here. And it begins. Jeff Weiner writes for the Orlando Sentinel, and we asked him to come on Monday's episode of What Next? So if you don't want to hear this and would rather just go to that, um, Slate's podcast, What Next, has the full interview. And on there, they explain what exactly is happening with Florida Representative Matt Gates. Last week, it was reported that Gates is under investigation for sex trafficking. But before we get into all of that, Jeff uh, Weiner says, you have to understand who Matt Gates is. And if, you know, I did a little coverage of uh, Mother Jones's um, analysis, or I guess investigation into Matt Gates's personal life, which you can check out in the last update. Um... Weiner might not want to spell it out in an article about the congressman, but he says most people would agree Matt Gates is a troll. Quote, I'm not even sure that he would object to that term, to be honest, Weiner says. There's plenty of evidence to back up the claim. There's the time toward the beginning of the pandemic when Gates wore a, a, a gas mask on the House floor. He also stormed a classified impeachment hearing in a secured room. And there have been whispers for a long time that there was something more to Matt Gates's trollish behavior, especially when it comes to how he treats women. Reports are emerging that he, ha- he was known for showing off racy pictures of women he'd been with and that he and other Republicans in the Florida legislature played a game in which they earned points for sleeping with women. So in the description, I'll include this article, which will give you a quick link to their podcast. And also, I'm going to include another article uh, written by... Um, I think her name was Casey Hill or Katie Hill. I'm sorry. Um, Katie Hill, who a couple of uh, years ago faced uh, horrible backlash from the conservative party because nudes had leaked from her ex-husband, who she is taking to court for uh, revenge porn in a lawsuit. But um, Katie Hill has a very interesting perspective. And um, yeah, she wrote something pretty interesting about Matt Gates and how he was the only one to defend her while she was dealing with that controversy of her nudes leaking. And 
she reflects on how now he's the guy who had been showing naked women or naked pictures of women he's been with to his fellow lawmakers. So she's kind of flabbergasted at the hypocrisy that Matt Gates is showing. Um, so I'll include a link to that article as well. It was a very interesting read. Uh, so getting back to the slate right here, we have the investigation into Gates's behavior now is about whether he's been sleeping with a teenage girl, bringing her across state lines and paying for sex. Gates's troll persona seemed to be working out so far, but may have caught up to him. Quote, from what we've seen from him, there really are no boundaries. I don't think that Matt Gates was expecting consequences to arrive for him, says Weiner. On Monday's episode of What Next, uh, Slate looked at the looked at how Gates found himself under investigation. It turns out this scandal is even weirder than you think. Our conversation has been edited and condensed for clarity, which is what I'm going to read. So, um, let's see here. Jeff Weiner was interviewed by Mary Harris, and she begins with, So you've made a pretty good case that for a long time, Matt Gates has been a provocateur in the world of Republican po politics and involved in some alleged activities that are pretty unsavory. But the current crisis he's going through, it actually doesn't center any of this stuff. It relates more to his relationship with this one guy, Joel Greenberg. So I wonder if you can explain a little bit who Joel Greenberg is. Jeff Weiner begins, That sound you heard is me taking a very deep breath. There's a lot to say about Joel Greenberg. It's difficult to know where to start. What I will say right off the jump is that Joel Greenberg, locally, is very similar as a figure to Matt Gates, nationally. Greenberg exploded onto the scene locally in 2016 when he ran for tech tax collector, which may sound boring, it's not a very flashy office, but it's extremely powerful. You basically are the one, as it sounds, collecting taxes, determining the tax valuation of properties. Millions of dollars pass through the office, which Greenberg would very much take advantage of later in his career. But Greenberg rode into office as an anti-corruption, anti-cronyism candidate who was going to clean up the office, which in retrospect is somewhat ironic. Uh, Mary asked the question, uh, tax collector doesn't seem like one of those offices that you might normally pay attention to. Was there a moment when you and your colleagues thought, we've got to start looking at what's going on over there? Jeff Weiner responds, he started carrying a badge, like a law enforcement looking badge that said tax collector on it. This is not something that every tax collector gets. It's something that he made for himself. That is funny. Because they're like... That there was an episode of this TV show called Patriot, and he gets invited to be like an attache to one of the uh, congressmen who's going on a diplomatic trip, and he asks if he gets an attache badge, which an attache is basically just an intern viewing everything from the side. So that's very funny that even this guy did the same thing, and it sometimes life imitates art. Um, so one day he used it to pull somebody over. Oh my God. A woman who was allegedly speeding. According to him, he turned on a flashlight on his dashboard and pulled her over, flashed his tax collector badge and started lecturing this woman about her speeding. Uh, Mary asks, so he was cosplaying as a cop. Jeff responds, that's how I would describe it. The local prosecuting office reviewed it and decided that, that there was no actual violation of the law even though it is illegal 
obviously, to pretend to be a police officer. The woman who was pulled over by him certainly feels like he was cosplaying as a cop and spoke to us again this week about how outraged she still is that he was not charged for doing this. I've covered a lot of pretend police officers. It generally is a pretty alarming behavior. It generally is not something that someone does once and never again. That was where I was like, we have to pay really close attention to this guy. And pretty much any direction that scandal would uh, could go, it tended to follow Joel Greenberg. The other thing that tended to follow Joel were influential Republicans of the MAGA variety. Matt Gates probably is the most prominent of those. The thing that was odd about their friendship is that the panhandle where Gates is from is very far from central Florida. Joel Greenberg was the tax collector in Seminole County, which is right outside of Orlando. That's a four-hour drive to Matt Gates's district. So it's not like these guys were hanging out because they lived near each other and had the same uh, mentalities. Matt Gates and Joel Greenberg would be seen about town in Seminole County eating dinner together, out at bars together or whatever. And it's like, why is Matt Gates even here? Uh, Mary says, this wasn't a secret. They were posting selfies. Jeff responds, Joel Greenberg is a prolific selfie poster and very much seems to relish posting photos with people like Matt Gates. So they documented this stuff extensively. Matt Gates was on the Joel Greenberg bandwagon very quickly. Within six months of Joel Greenberg taking office, Matt Gates was already giving radio interviews where he would talk about Greenberg potentially running for Congress in the next election cycle. These were guys who were very quick who very quickly became supporters of each other, and it lasted until very recently. Joel Greenberg was indicted for the first time in June of last year. And earlier that month, month he launched his re-election campaign, and Matt Gates was the first donor. So Mary uh, comes in, and she says, Since June, the list of indictments against Joel Greenberg has gotten longer and longer. Originally, federal prosecutors were investigating him for stalking a political opponent. Greenberg allegedly used fake Twitter accounts to accuse the man, a teacher, of molesting a child and favoring white supremacy. But when the feds traced a digital breadcrumb trail to Greenberg's home, they found more to investigate, starting with a pile of fake IDs in Greenberg's car. Jeff responds, If I go into the tax collector's office for a new driver's license, and I hand in my old one, they would throw it in a basket, and then they would destroy it later. But what Joel Greenberg would do, according to the authorities, is take the IDs out of the basket, and then he would use them to make fake IDs for himself. So the federal authorities find these IDs in his car, and obviously that leads to a second indictment against him for identity theft. Mary asks, what does he need fake IDs for? Jeff responds, that's a really good question. At this point, I think it's safe to say that it is tied to the third indictment that came against him, which was the sex trafficking allegation. Where you at, QAnon? That wasn't, that wasn't Jeff, that was me. Um, but seriously, where you at? Where you at, Q? Um, anyways, Jeff continues. So in the sex trafficking charge allegation, what authorities said had happened was that Joel Greenberg had been involved in trafficking, potentially across state lines, a girl between the ages of 14 and 17 for the purposes of commercial sex, and in doing so had basically created an identifying document for that girl. So it appears to be the case that Greenberg was using his office as tax collector to create false identities, potentially for this girl. Mary then comes in and says, this is how Congressman Gates 
gets into hot water. The investigation into Greenberg turned up a video of Gates and Greenberg entering the tax collector's office after hours and messing with that basket of discarded IDs. It's no smoking gun, but it raises a lot of questions. Jeff responds, Joel Greenberg would often enter his office after hours, and on one such occasion on a Saturday in April of 2018, according to a source who spoke to us, he was seen entering the office with Matt Gates, interacting with the baskets where these discarded IDs were kept, and then entering the back room of the office. Matt Gates was present for all of this. Multiple reports have since in indicated that that is one of the inciting incidents in the investigation that's going on into Gates right now. The New York Times reported this week that the same girl who Joel Greenberg is accused formerly of trafficking is the one that Matt Gates is suspected of trafficking. Mary comes in and says, we don't have them caught red-handed. We have connections and allegations, right? And Gates would push back aggressively and say, I didn't do this. Jeff responds, we don't have any firm evidence of sex trafficking. We also don't know necessarily what the feds have gathered as part of their investigation. It's been reported this week that the 17-year-old is not the only thing that Gates is being investigated for. There's this expansive behavior that he and Greenberg were allegedly involved in. They were soliciting sex for money with women, including through these websites for sugar daddies, potentially paying women to travel across state lines for the purposes of sex. Matt Gates, it should be said, has denied every allegation against him, every hint of a scandal. He insists that he never has had sex with anyone for money that he's never interacted with or even encountered this alleged 17-year-old uh, that, bas that basically this is all bogus and false. Mary says, last Tuesday, Gates showed up on Tucker Carlson's show to defend himself. He alleged that he was actually the victim of an extortion plot and that he was working with the FBI to take his tormentors down. Watching, uh, this is Jeff now, watching that, it struck me as fairly familiar of a certain kind of politician, of which Gates is one, who is enmeshed in some kind of controversy and is trying to, rather than defend the behavior, find some way to make the people potentially accusing him into the villains. By claiming, truly or falsely, that he was working with federal authorities, he was trying to go beyond saying that the allegations against him weren't true, but try to but trying to say that, in fact, he was the white knight. He was the one who was working with the authorities to bring the bad guys to justice. As much as that may have seemed unconvincing to me and you, and potentially to others, I will say that to people who are inclined to believe Gates and to be on his side, it's a pretty persuasive and helpful argument. I instantly was getting emails from people like, you said that Matt Gates was linked to this sex investigation, and I turn on Fox News and I find out actually he's being extorted. How dare you? You should be ashamed. Uh, Mary comes in and asks, well, the Trump doctrine is to hang on, concede nothing, and just keep it pushing. Is Matt Gates going to be able to do that? Jeff responds, that doctrine has been tested again and again, and honestly, it's worked many times, as we've all seen. The problem here for Matt Gates is that whether or not he's able to convince the people who are uh, amenable to hearing the Trump doctrine that he's still one of the good guys, I don't think federal prosecutors are going to go for that. I really think that probably his political fate is very much tied to his legal fate. Mary comes in. Joel Greenberg is scheduled to stand trial in June. Does that give you any timeline here about what might happen next with Gates? Jeff responds, I don't, uh, I don't necessarily expect that trial date to stick. 
He was just indicted again this past week on allegations related to embezzlement from his office and also having essentially created shell companies to steal COVID relief funds, which is an entirely separate allegation against him that we had gotten into. Amazing. Mary says, he's the gift that keeps on giving. Jeff says, it's the headache that that keeps kind of throbbing. Oh, boy. Yeah, big surprise that Matt Gates would be that corrupt. Anyways, Mary says, This investigation seems like one or two people's very big mess, but I wonder if you think there are any larger implications here, either for the GOP in Florida or nationally, Trump loyalists, or whether you think that this is just about two guys doing a ton of sketchy stuff. Jeff responds, and again, this is a reporter from uh, Orlando Sentinel. He responds, I definitely don't think it's about two guys only. Even in the New York Times report about the sex allegations that are being investigated, there was a mention of another Republican official who allegedly had sex with one of these women. So we're certainly on the lookout here for other people who may be involved in this. Implications for the national GOP? I guess one of the main ones would be that Matt Gates is one of the most visible figures of the Trump wing of the Republican Party. He's somebody who's constantly making media appearances. He's somebody who's very much seen as part of the future of that wing of the Republican Party. I think that people definitely expected him to continue his ascent in national politics. So whatever harm this scandal has done to him, and certainly if he winds up being charged, that would have an effect on the direction of the national party almost by necessity. Just because of what a visible figure he had become for a certain branch of the party. And the potential for him not having that authority and influence anymore would itself be very significant. All right. So that that's just a little bit of taste of what I feel is underreported. Um, I th- and Slate was really the only one to get that scoop uh, from uh, Jeff Weiner of the Orlando Sentinel. Because as I look today, um, it's mostly talking about the uh, Bob Kent story coming out and mudding up the waters a little bit more a little bit more um, the Katie Hill um, coming out with an opinion piece and um, I think CNN said Trump and his allies abandoned Gates so we're not really you know getting the connections tied here for the story itself it's these weird little bitty pieces that are coming out in each of these mainstream articles and depending on your leaning is going to mostly vary what piece of that story you get but i think slate did a good job there at actually succinctly giving us a clear narrative of wtf so um yeah good luck matt gates we'll catch you next episode and see where you're at hopefully it's closer to resigning all right now to move into the militia watch update that i'm gonna do without the militia watch update but an article that comes from Uh, tech transparency project which they are calling constitutional american militia project it's going into facebook's militia mess conservatives are always crying about how big tech censors and targets them and yet facebook actually has multiple studies out on it on how it has a bit of a conservative leaning bias with a lot of the groups and pages that it puts forward in its algorithm. But this might be a little bit different here. Facebook has been pushing forward on, like Mark Zuckerberg, I think for like the past year, maybe two years, has been focusing in on making the groups 
uh, function, the communities inside of Facebook, trying to grow that into getting people connected through Facebook so that he can have a justification on why he would have this app. If it's not isolating everybody, it's at least bringing them together in these group communities. So we're going to dive into how there's a backlash in that effect here. Um, and it begins by saying Mark Zuckerberg is about to face lawmakers two months after the Capitol riot, but Facebook still hasn't fixed its militia problem. Facebook is leaving some gaping holes in its crackdown on militia groups. According to new research by the Tech Transparency Project, raising questions for CEO Mark Zuckerberg as he prepares to testify to Congress for the first time since the U.S. Capitol riot. Now, this article, again, was written March 24th, 2021, so there's a little bit of dated here, but the information and study data, nonetheless important. Um, so TTP, which is going to be text tech transparency project has previously detailed how facebook allowed election conspiracies and far-right militias to proliferate on its platform fueling the radicalization that drove the january 6 insurrection now with zuckerberg set to appear before u.s lawmakers on thursday ttp has found troubling evidence that facebook is not only continuing to host potentially dangerous militia groups but in some cases actually creating militia content and pushing it to users through its recommendation algorithm um and I think, you know, one easy example to bring up here is the uh, Kenosha Watch militia group that uh, Illinois citizen Kyle Rittenhouse had been connected to before he went to Kenosha, uh, Kenosha Wisconsin, uh, shooting three individuals, killing one. So uh, Facebook, you know can't be directly implicated to Kyle Rittenhouse going out there. But let's just say if Facebook didn't exist, it wouldn't have happened in that specific circumstance. Or if they were more aware of the fact that people were uh, gathering on their platform and locking and loading to protect property. But anyways, let's get back to the study. Facebook's problems with militia activity persist despite the company's announcement seven months ago that it would take action against U.S. militia organizations and other extremist groups that, pro that pose a risk to public safety. Here are some of the key findings from TTP's latest research. The, the investigation identified 201 militia pages and 13 militia groups on Facebook as of March 18th, more than two months after the Capitol riot. Roughly 70% of the Facebook pages had the word militia in their name. Facebook is auto-generating pages for some militia organizations, effectively expanding the reach of the movement. Facebook also directs users who like certain militia pages toward other militia groups, helping these organizations potentially recruit and radicalize users. Some Facebook users have begun to turn their personal profiles into de facto pages for militia organizations, likely as a way to avoid detection. TTP found some Facebook militia groups circulating propaganda for the far-right Proud Boys, whose members have been charged in the Capitol riot. TTP identified 201 Facebook militia pages and 13 groups that were active on the platform as of March 18th. These included DFW Beacon Unit in Dallas-Fort Worth, Texas, which describes itself as a legitimate militia and posted March 21st about a training session. Central Kentucky Freedom Fighters, whose Facebook page posts nearly daily content about government infringing on people's rights, and the New River Militia in North Carolina, which posted about the need to wake up the other lions two days after the Capitol riot. 
Strikingly, about 70%, or 140, of these Facebook pages identified by TTP had militia in their name. That's hard to miss affiliation, especially for a company that says its artificial intelligence systems are successfully detecting and removing policy violations like hate speech and terrorist content. Uh, they have, they have a, a screen cap of Alabama Republican militia, which apparently is currently active on Facebook. I guess this sideshow has a couple of... Uh, there's one for Arkansas's Intelligent Citizen, which has a three percenters symbol on it. That's cool. Uh, Camp, which is the Constitutional American Militia Project. So I was mistaken. I thought they were they were naming this whole project or this study as that, but uh, the con the Constitutional American Militia Project seems to be its own Facebook group. Um, then there's the DFW Beacon Unit. The cover is a meme that says it's a brotherhood that few understand and even fewer are a part of. Okay. Um, and then there's another one that says Illinois Lightfoot Militia. So, yeah, they're not even really being very discreet about it. In addition, the TTP investigation found 31 militia-related profiles which display their militia sympathies through their names, logos, patches, posts, or recruiting efforts. In more than half the cases, 20 of them, the profiles had the word militia in their name. One example is the profile for natural-born militia, which includes photos with the 3%er logo. The 3%ers are an anti-government extremist faction of the militia movement, according to the Anti-Defamation League. Some of these profiles appear to be acting as de facto pages for militia organizations, TTP found. That may be a way for them to avoid detection by allowing them to maintain tighter control of information, deciding when to make individual posts public, for example. Such strategies have also been adopted by wildlife tra uh, traffickers operating on Facebook, according to a report last year from the Alliance to Counter Crime Online, which is also funny, so that's great. Like, the wildlife traffickers, I wonder if that's including the fact that, like, Facebook was hosting illegal sales of land from the Amazon rainforest. So that's, that's, Jesus. What a terrible platform. And I, I use it to see all the things that I've posted in the past, like the memories, and it's a little narcissistic for me, but every time I hear what Facebook like just really lets slide under the radar on their platform is just another glimpse behind the curtain every single time. Uh, some of the militia profiles identified by TTP are networked together. For example, the profile for Section 8 Militia in Texas has a friend network that includes other militia profiles like Kit uh, Kitsap County, Washington Militia, Missouri Partisan Rangers, Central Iowa Militia, and Southern Nevada Militia. Facebook's continuing struggles with militia content provide a troubling backdrop as Zuckerberg prepares to make a virtual appearance before Congress Thursday, his first testimony since the deadly Capitol insurrection. The House Energy and Commerce Committee hearing is slated to delve into social media's role in promoting extremism and misinformation. As TTP reported in January, Facebook allowed domestic extremists to discuss weapons and tactics, coordinate activities, and spread calls to overthrow the government for months leading up to and including the mob attack on the Capitol. The evidence contradicts Facebook Chief Operating Officer Sheryl Sandberg's claims that the January 6th riot was largely organized on other platforms. 
Meanwhile, in the Biden administration, or meanwhile, the Biden administration is putting a heavier emphasis on combating domestic extremism. The Office of the Director of National Intelligence issued a March report that identified militia as one of the most lethal domestic violent extremist threats. So Facebook is not just missing militia content. It's also, in some cases, creating it. About 17% of the militia pages identified by TTP, which is 34 of them, were actually auto-generated by Facebook. Oh my god. Most of them with the word militia in their names. This has been a recurring issue with Facebook. A TTP investigation in May 2020 found that Facebook had auto-generated business pages for white supremacist groups. That's me clapping. Auto-generated uh, auto pages are not managed by an administrator, but they can still play a role in amplifying extremist views. For example, if a Facebook user likes one of these pages, the page gets added to the About section of the user's profile, giving it more visibility. This can also serve as a signal to potential recruiters about pro-militia sympathies. Meanwhile, Facebook's recommendation algorithm is pushing users who like militia pages toward other militia content. When TTP liked the page for Woco Militia, Facebook recommended a page called Arkansas Intelligent Citizen, which features a large 3%er logo as the page header. The history section in the page transparency shows that it was previously named 3%ers Arkansas. TTP found that 26 of the militia pages, including two that were auto-generated, were created after Facebook's uh, Facebook announced crackdown on U.S. militias, later described as militarized social movements. Oh my goodness. On August 19, 2020. Yeah, I, I read that very poorly, but on August 19, 2020, Facebook announced a crackdown on U.S. militias, which they later described as mili militarized social movements. Man, it just, that even reminds me of the George Carlin, uh, like bit about uh euphemisms and softened language that's great um a total of 44 pages have posted new content since that date six of the facebook militia groups identified by ttp were also created after august 19th so even when they said that they would begin the crackdown this generally not much has happened one group ex explicitly named uh, Texas militia launched on the afternoon of January 6th in the midst of the attack on the U.S. Capitol. The administrator who created the group warned that modern technology has enabled radicals to subvert the process by which we elect our representatives, adding we must be prepared to defend our rights and prevent the takeover our, of our great nation by radicals, uphold the Constitution, and preserve our way of life. Yikes. TTP identified one of Facebook's groups called CAMP, which stands for Constitutional American Militia Project. The group penned a mission statement on March 12th that encourages all fellow patriots to march on state capitals across the country and force out elected officials. The date of the event is to be announced. On March 13th, the CAMP group's administrator posted a three-minute video promoting the far-right Proud Boys, an organization that's been banned on Facebook since 2018 and whose alleged leaders have been charged with conspiracy in the attack of the U.S. Capitol. So that's great. Like, if you get enough, like, media publicity where people are familiar with who you are, like the Proud Boys, then you get banned. But if you're unknown, like CAMP, 
there's not really a, a need to do anything about that which is also funny because like there was a whistleblow from facebook like a year ago about how mark zuckerberg could really care less about the issues of facebook unless it's going to reach headlines like he really does not want to do anything until it actually becomes bad press for him um i can't remember who wrote that article but it came out about a year ago uh, the video is essentially a highlight reel of Proud Boys' attacks on Black Lives Matter protests, as well as footage from the Capitol riot. The kind of admin post highlights a critical flaw in Facebook's group's policy. In a March 17th policy update outlining new p penalties for groups that violate Facebook's community standards, Facebook said it would require group admins and moderators to approve all posts in certain cases. But if the admins themselves are posting the content and like-minded groups don't report it, then the groups are less likely to come to Facebook's attention. Cool. The honor code between militias. That's awesome. Uh, TTP found that Facebook is continuing to allow militias to use its events feature. Awesome. Despite revelations that the company failed to act on a Kenosha Guard. There it is. Event page that urged people to bring weapons to a Black Lives Matter protest. Uh, then 17-year-old Kyle Rittenhouse is charged with fatally shooting two people at the August protest. Oh, so he shot three and killed two. I apologize for that. Um, but yeah, Kenosha Guard was what brought Kyle Rittenhouse to w Wisconsin that night, uh, protecting a already destroyed car dealership to which the uh, owner of that car dealership did not want protection for. So a Facebook page called Tennessee Patriots Militia, created on December 6, 2020, has used the events feature on three occasions to organize meetings of group members. The most recent event page for a final startup meeting on February 27th featured a skull with the three percenter symbol in one of the eyes. The three percenters refers to the anti-government three percenters. Another page called Light Horse Militia, which indicates it's based in... Uh, in Lee County, Virginia, posted a recruitment call for members in July 2020. The post specifically seeks members with prior law enforcement or military experience. In some cases, militias are making use of multiple Facebook tools. A page called the First Nebraska Volunteer Militia, which describes itself as an organized paramilitary force that is not part of the regular armed forces. <laughs> they're just cosplaying. Like, they're, they're honestly, like, insane cosplayers. Um, anyways, I'll, I'll begin from the, from the beginning. Um, a page called the First Nebraska Volunteer Militia, which describes itself as an organized paramilitary force that is not part of the regular armed forces, aka LARPing, also serves as the admin of a Facebook group of the same name. The First Nebraska Volunteer Militia page promoted an event poster for a Million Militia March that was slated to take place on January 20th, Inauguration Day. Awesome. Some of the pages suggest efforts to coordinate with law enforcement. One page called Carter County, Oklahoma Militia posted on January 5th, 2021, that it had changed its name after speaking with the local sheriff, that the sheriff is looking for reserve deputies, and that people interested in being a reservist should contact the page manager. Awesome. So awesome. And that's the end of the article, literally ending with the idea that uh, that the sheriff was looking for reserve deputies from a Facebook militia group page. That is just America in a beautiful, beautiful nutshell. Um, I will include the article in the description as well if you want to check that out, check my work. But um, all I have to say to that is just a lot of yikes because I don't think I've ever, like, I, I mostly cover right-wing you know news stories and commentary but i don't think i have ever seen them really speak about the militia 
like movement that's going on in America. I don't think I've ever heard it once. Honestly, that's so crazy to me. Whew. All right. So now we're going to I have enough time. There's enough time here. We can get into the George Floyd case. Um, no breaks. All gas. Let's do it. The trial of Derek Chauvin, the officer involved in the death of George Floyd, is going on right now. Now, I'm using my words carefully. I'm not saying the officer who killed George Floyd or the officer involved in the killing of George Floyd. I'm saying he was there at the death. And the question is, did this police officer murder George Floyd? Did he accidentally kill George Floyd? Or did George Floyd suffer a drug overdose? Did he res the convenient thing for the conservative like narrative media beginning I, I'm beginning with this art uh, this this segment here that's not really focusing too much on the trial um, mainly because it's this is a reoccurring narrative in the uh, right-wing echo chamber to try and uh, provide innocence for Derek Chauvin because of the toxicology report. They, they focus in on the toxicology like he had meth, fentanyl, and caffeine in his system. And uh, so there's a lot of factors to why he would have died. Just completely ignoring the autopsies, both of which saying that he died of asphyxiation, which is, you know, lack of oxygen flowing to the brain. So, um, yeah. Yep. Resist arrest. Well, we know he resisted arrest. We know he was on drugs. We know that he asked to be taken out of the car. We know all of those things just from video i think what's fascinating too here is how they like really exaggerate to the level of like george floyd resisting arrest yes his his arrest in detainment was difficult i would say but um i wouldn't say it was resisting an arrest in in, in the same way that a lot of people would picture it where he's literally trying to evade the the clutches of the police officer because not at any point when he's handcuffed is does he try to run or does he actually try to break away he's just being extremely difficult because he's on drugs um, but after the, watching the trials, multiple police officers had said that the use of force that Derek Chauvin had used, um, was excessive and was unnecessary. So, you know, do with that as you will, as they continue to talk about his resisting arrest. So what was the cause of death? Already the left thinks that this this cop is going to get off. And, you know, if, if there's justice, the left seems to think that the cop will get off because they're, they're preemptively saying he, there shouldn't even be a trial. We, the, we should just pay money to the family of George Floyd and, and the other race hustlers who are trying to exploit this situation. We I really don't know who would be saying that on the left, mainly because the uh, George Floyd family has already been paid by the state for a wrongful death. So um, I don't know who would, he, he's creating that straw man. The, the non-existing leftist who's yelling out irrationalities into the void. He, we're bracing for riots. We're bracing for... Why? Because you think he's going to get off. Why do you think he's going to get off? Well, for instance, because George Floyd's girlfriend admitted on the stand yesterday. Um, I think the, the, the more likelihood of Derek Chauvin not necessarily getting off, but at this point getting a lighter charge, is trying to highlight on how his training at the Minneapolis Police Department was insufficient, regardless of his 19 years of being on the force. Um, and I also have like kind of an issue with how we do this, because we have state prosecutors, like the Attorney General's Office of Minnesota is the one who's pursuing 
in convicting a police officer of the same apparatus of the government. Like they work hand in hand most of the time. Usually it's the cops bringing the attorney general their case for the paycheck. So I'm, I'm a little bit concerned on how we go about this process because it would seem to me that the attorney general has a bit of incentive to go lenient on Derek Chauvin. Um, I don't know if qualified immunity still applies to Derek Chauvin, but I don't think it does. Okay that George Floyd had a very, very bad drug habit and a drug habit that was so bad that he did overdose within two months of his death, which may or may not have been caused by an overdose. We went to the hospital a couple of times in March. Okay. Um, he was ho hospitalized for a more extended period of time in March, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay, that's the incident I'm talking okay. about. Okay. I went to go pick Floyd up from his house that night. Um, I thought I was taking him to work. He wasn't feeling good. His stomach really hurt. He was doubled over in pain. Um, just wasn't feeling well, and he said he had to go to the hospital, so I took him straight to the hospital. Um, we went to the ER, and um, they were checking him out in the ER, and um, it was getting late and I had to get home to my son, so I left that Friday night. You later learned that that was uh, due to an overdose? Yes. So it goes on. More and more evidence that George Floyd... And you, you could see at the end there that they had an objection, and I can't remember if they, if they sustained it or uh, overruled that objection, but I like how that they've cut right at the objection because obviously it had to deal with like what like what line of questioning has this relevancy to uh, Derek Chauvin killing George Floyd? Because um, if we're going to say that drug addicts are okay to be killed at, by cops at any point, then what are we doing? You know, what are we doing as a country if like, oh, it's a drug addict, fuck them. Floyd died of a drug overdose. I mean, even just the, the report of the toxicity in his blood, he had very, very toxic levels of drugs in his blood. Uh, and even in that toxicology report cited by the doctor that they keep repeating this is that even the even after saying, yes, he had high levels of fentanyl in his system enough to kill a person. That is not the cause of his death. That came from the same toxicology report that they keep using over and over and over again. This is I'd, I'd like to stake out a third position here. Oh, we can't forget he had COVID a month before either. We can't forget that between. George Floyd is the worst person in the world and he got what he deserved. And this cop killed George Floyd and, you know, he needs to go to jail forever or something like that. I, I really wonder of those two positions, which one's crazier to Michael Knowles. I really do. What if it's the case that George Floyd resisted arrest, took a bunch of drugs, overdosed, that this cop has been in that order. He did. He did all of that in that order for sure, Michael. Yeah. Wrongly maligned. Whatever happened in the moment that he's, uh, what people are accusing him of doing, he didn't do. And what if one can sort of feel bad for George Floyd? But George Floyd robbed a pregnant woman at gunpoint. Yeah, he doesn't sound like a good guy. He does not sound like a good guy at all. But what if one can feel? That's also funny because there's actually no proof provided that it was at gunpoint. 
Um, I, I like I, I had done a couple. I think I covered that in two videos ago, two or three videos ago. But there is actually no validity that he robbed that woman with from gunpoint. There, there is uh, a charge that he was uh, that he did serve jail time for for robbing a pregnant woman. But there is no evidence of the gunpoint. There, there's no evidence of the gun. So, um, it's just amazing to like the little kernels of truth that they get that they blow up into political popcorn basically offering you absolutely no substance only to get you full for a political agenda you feel me well sort of bad for george floyd in that the the drug addiction that he obviously had is just the clearest representation of vice and sin and broken human nature this guy was obviously not totally in control of what he did. So George Floyd's drug addiction is a bigger sign of flawed humanity than Derek Chauvin sitting on his neck for too long. Because again, like I said, multiple police officers had said that his use of force was totally unnecessary, especially for the amount of time that he was sitting on George Floyd's neck. So again, the lack of humanity because he's a drug addict he, he lacks humanity for being a drug addict, but not the lack of humil humanity towards a drug addict. There's, there's none existing for the, for the uh, conservative party at this point. He's an addict. I know that in the modern liberal view, being able to pursue your base desires is considered the definition of freedom, but it's not. It's the opposite of freedom. It's licentiousness, and it compromises your free will, and it, it compromises your ability to control yourself and your desires, and it compromises your rational faculties. And that's a very sad thing. Wow, that's literally all he had to say about that? Jeez. Oh, man. Um, so, so, you know. Why we shouldn't oh, let okay, druggies completely off the hook and say, well, it's not your fault. No, it kind of is your fault. You, you know, you're, maybe, maybe it's a vicious cycle. Maybe you had bad circumstances and then you turn. There is a bit of responsibility that people should have for uh, drug addiction, but we also don't really offer a lot of paths in this country, especially for low-income people, to kind of knock that addiction. It takes a lot of self-empowerment and autonomy to be able to overcome certain drug addictions, especially in a low-income uh, area. But maybe if we go the Portugal route, where instead of criminalizing drug addicts, we actually try to re rehabilitate them, uh, we might see a you know decrease in drug addiction like Portugal. But, um, you know, that's not what we're going to advocate here because, again, the point is fuck drug addicts. Turn to drugs and then you further impaired your will and then you couldn't get out of it. Maybe it's a bad cycle and you're somewhat responsible, but you've also compromised your free will during that. What if that's the case? If you enjoyed that break. I did not enjoy that break. Um, anyways, if we're going to bring up, you know, people's past histories, uh, uh, the police department record shows that 18 complaints filed against Derek Chauvin over the course of his 19 year career with Minneapolis police, just one will be introduced at trial. He has his own history of complaints filed against him, and only one of them is being allowed at trial. It, it, was, it was brought up in the grand jury that they are not going to bring up every uh, complaint that Derek Chauvin has had against him. So isn't isn't that amazing that we will dive incredibly deep into George Floyd's history. But when it comes to Derek Chauvin's, we're just going to get that surface level, just a little scratch off the top there. Yeah. And most of them all. No, no in fact, all of his uh, um, internal affair investigations were closed with no discipline.
So amazing. And like, even when he was sitting on his neck, one of my favorite journalists um, had said that he, when, when he first saw the video of Derek Chauvin sitting on George Floyd's neck is that he looked at a police officer who knew he was not going to face consequences. And it, it's, it's an interesting perspective to take as he nonchalantly chills on the neck of a dying man. So uh, thanks, Michael Knowles, for beating down drug addicts and holding up murderous cops. Cool touchiest so now we have a uh you know one of the touchiest oops oops, oops. hold on michael i'm not ready for you hold on okay just wait now he has uh the first week summary here of Derek chauvin's murder trial uh featuring brandon tatum brandon tatum is another youtube channel he's a former police officer and that's the perspective we're going to go with here so let's get it one of the touchiest subjects that anyone can mention right now. This was the cause of the BLM riots that burned down the country. This was the cause of so much rancor last year, the George Floyd case. Now the George Floyd case has gone to trial. Uh, former officer Derek Chauvin is on trial. Did he murder George Floyd? Did he accidentally kill George Floyd? Did George Floyd so while George Floyd did um, kind of spark, you know, nationwide protests for uh, Black Lives Matter, um, it's not the only case. Breonna Taylor, Jacob Blake, Elijah McClain are the first big ones that come to mind. So when we say that George Floyd is the only um, case that really caused the mass protest movement that went on at the time, I think that's doing a massive disservice to the actual uh, movements that went on during last summer. And that's purposeful because, you know, all last summer, Michael Knowles was a reactionary to all of those protests. So die of a drug overdose. What is going on in the trial right now? We're actually getting some breaking news that apparently the judge just abruptly excused the jury as is going on recess for the weekend. Uh, but someone with greater expertise on this subject than I can help weigh in Brandon Tatum, former police officer, co-founder of Blexit and author of Beaten Black and Blue, Being a Black Cop in an America Under Siege. Um, so I just want to throw out there that if you don't have time to watch the uh, Chauvin trial live as it happens, uh, Unicorn Riot on Twitter, I think it's at UR underscore Ninja, you can literally get updates from them of like almost every line of questioning that's happening there and every piece of evidence that's coming up. So if you, if you want like a full uh, thread and understanding of what's going on per day at the trial, you can get a really good one from Unicorn Riot rather than these um, cherry-picked contextualized pieces from conservatives. So I'm just going to offer that out for anybody who wants to go check it out. Unicorn Riot. Brandon, thank you for being here. Hey, thanks for having me on. So, Brandon, what am I supposed to know about this case? You've got this unique perspective here. Uh, we, we always hear the racial aspect of the case. We rarely hear the cop aspect of the case. Uh, how, does, how does it stand, and is this guy going to the clink? It's very funny that uh, Michael Knowles says that, because after watching a bit from the end of last week and the beginning of this week, it does seem to be more focused in on police training than necessarily 
because um, they're really trying to build on the idea of like, did Derek Chauvin know better based on his his training at the Minneapolis Police Department? So we can try to pretend that there's not enough going on on the side of the police officers, but there is. Um, but that's obviously, again, like I said, you know, cherry picked context. So. Well, I, I think that I'm, I'm satisfied to say that this is not going to be tried based on race. There's no charge of hate crime involved. So Chauvin is not going to be on trial because he was a racist white man who killed George Floyd in cold blood. That's not going to be what's going to be heard to the, you know, the jury's not going to hear that, that in the right. defense and right. the prosecution is not going to argue that. So the things that we need to know, and, and kind of like you said in the very beginning, is did the actions of, of Officer Chauvin cause the death either intentionally caused the death or through negligence caused the death of George Floyd. And with the information that has come out more recently, um, the defense is really painting the picture of George Floyd being a, a drug user, habitual uh, crime committer. A hab yeah, because the defense in, in, in a way to provide Derek Chauvin uh, a little bit of amnesty is trying to paint George Floyd as the villain. So like, that's pretty obvious why the, um, why why the defense would go that route one thing that i find interesting is that where while they're trying to separate the the black lives matter movement of actually having anything to do with this trial now it really does still what we're what what they're trying to really see here is that if a cop will finally be held accountable for the killing of a black person um and you know if you can look at the past cases of last year jacob blake's uh um you know, assaulters, they didn't kill Jacob Blake. They just paralyzed him for life. Uh, they got let off. Uh, Breonna Taylor's uh, murderers were not even at the grand jury. They didn't even bring up murder charges. So there was no chance of them even facing that possibility. So no, no chance of accountability on that front. Um, Elijah McLean's also too. Nobody was charged for any negligence or uh, any murder charges being brought up for that as either uh, the Aurora judge just threw the case out. So black Lives matter is still very much attached to this to whether or not our system will hold police accountable for killing black people. And it has a lot to do with the fact that we should hold the fourth amendment to it's, it's, it's truest point is that nobody is innocent. Uh, nobody is guilty or nobody is innocent until proven guilty or nobody is guilty until proven innocent. And there is a due process of these things. But it seems that when it comes to certain individuals in this country, that due process can be thrown to the wayside if we can prove um, just enough that this black person um, didn't. De well, in George Floyd's case, deserve to die. But in other cases that the police are just doing their job. So... There, there, there is a reason to why Black Lives Matter protest says no justice, no peace. They want to see accountability. Um, you know, seeing less black people die would be great, but I feel like accountability might be the, 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 the beginning step of people not Im immediately going to their gun. So, habitual liar when he's taken into custody, claiming he can't breathe. Uh, claiming he wants his mom, all of those cues that people were so upset about, they're proving to us. Nobody can actually prove that he was lying in any of those circumstances, especially with the autopsy saying he died of asphyxiation. You can't say he was lying when he said that he can't breathe. Certain agree that this is normal behavior and that the police officers may not have been able to diagnose um, his distress based on some of those factors. 
So I, I've seen some headlines uh, so far about the witnesses that the defense is calling and the, some of the claims of the drug use and possible overdoses. How convincing is it? Uh, you know, th these are things that we really hadn't heard all that much about before the trial. How much is this going to sway? Like I said, yes, they have. I mean, Crowder brought it up. Ben Shapiro's brought it up. Tucker Carlson has brought it up. Literally, they will not shut up about the toxicology report. Things. Yeah, I think the jury would be incredibly convinced that this is not a, you know, a man who's changed, turning his life around and he was somehow under the knee of a police officer getting killed um, for eight minutes. You know, this is, they're painting the picture of who George Floyd really was and how police were responding to him. If you think that you can get an entire picture of somebody simply off of their criminal record, shame on you. Shame on you. What were they thinking? It kind of, you know, points to the mental state of officers and the mental state of George Floyd when they spoke about him being on drugs, because this is going to be a huge factor is did he die from the methamphetamine and fentanyl that he put into his system, which were above lethal amounts? I think. Mm. It and again, in that toxicology report, they keep bringing up the doctor said it was not his cause of death again. I mean, I, I really like the echo chamber at this point is so bad. I'm just talking to my own echo like fuck. It was three to four times the uh, lethal dosage of any of those drugs. So um, that's going to be on trial. But the jury has an opportunity to see his behavior, his mannerisms, the drugs that he used, the effect that it had on him, and also the mannerisms of, you know, Officer Chauvin and the other officers before he requested them put him on the ground and claiming that he couldn't breathe even when he was in the back of the police car. So them being able to see the full spectrum, the totality of circumstances. I've never had a panic attack or an anxiety attack, and I've never had either one while high on meth and fentanyl, but I could imagine how somebody can stress themselves out to the point of being very, very irrational and unable to be reached, especially in a high stress situation as having four cops on your back. Three, sorry, three cops on your back. Four cops in total there, three on your back. Also with the cop initiating with the uh, interaction with their gun out. So, like, <laughs> there's a lot going into this that could have gotten George Floyd's uh, heart racing and mind um, just, you know, really out of rational responses to, to the police. Um, so, you know, I'm not going to say that they... There, there's definitely probably other avenues we could have taken, but um, sitting on his neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds, um, I, I really don't know how, like, from a year ago, they were saying how horrific that image was to now. I really, I don't know how conservatives made that logical leap. It, it must be just in the fact that he's a drug addict criminal. That That's... That's it. It's not as horrifying when you realize his criminal record and drug use. I believe it gives them a, a, a more balanced way to, to move forward in this trial. But Brandon, I am reliably informed by the mainstream media that this trial is not about Derek Chauvin. It's not about what he did. It's not even about George Floyd. It is a national reckoning on race. And so we have to ignore all the evidence of the trial. And we just need to think about slavery and Jim Crow and all redlining, you know, whatever. I don't watch liberal news media, so I have no idea what he's talking about, but I already told you on how uh, holding police accountable for their actions has a lot to do with the Black Lives Matter movement at this point. Um, and that's where the racial tensions come in.
But for the most part, it does seem that policing in America is a bit more in, on trial here at this point, especially as the prosecution keeps diving in further and further into Minneapolis Police Department policies and training methods. So over time, anything not to talk about the actual facts on the ground here. Do you think that that narrative is going to be successful? Yeah, I think the narrative is going to be successful. I, mm -hmm. I, I will say this right now that no matter what happens in this trial, there's going to be riots. There's going to be protests. There's going to be burning of buildings. There's going to be people looting and buying and, and stealing Jordans out. Of I mean, I would be genuinely interested to ask Brandon, Ta Brandon Tatum on like who would protest and riot if um, Derek Chauvin is convicted of third degree murder. Like, it, would it be the cops? Would it be right wing militias? Who would that be? Generally, like, who 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 do you think that would be, Brandon? Like, no matter the outcome, there's gonna be fire in the streets. Like, uh, who, what, when, where, and why, Brandon? Out of the store, um, as if it had anything to do with George Floyd. There's gonna be a narrative that precedes this, you know, for the rest of history. That is the goal by the mainstream media politicians. They don't care about George Floyd's life. They don't care about my, uh, Officer Chauvin's life or the other officers on scene. They don't. They could care less. This is an opportunity for them to get money through ratings. This is an opportunity for politicians to get reelected by pushing a false narrative of racism. In, in this. I mean, the media does have its uh, interests in, you know, really playing this story out because it's, you know, a hot button topic and it gets views and revenue. So, yeah, I genuinely agree with that. I'll, I'll, I'll grant Tatum that point. This country and, and I hope that people will be able to see through the mud and say that, you know, this has nothing to do with race. This has everything to do with an encounter of a police officer and a man who was high on methamphetamine and fentanyl that went tragic. And I hope that people can see through, listen to the trial yourself. It's, it's available online. You can go and watch every day of it. Watch the trial, listen to the defense argument, listen to the prosecution, listen to the witness. It's really amazing how he, he, he I mean, it, it's good for you to tell people to do that, but I don't think most people have the time in the day to really follow every bit of piece of this. So it would behoove uh, commentators and journalists to actually come with an objective truth in this story. Um, so yeah, I, I'm still promoting Unicorn Riot because you know you can go on their Twitter and see very specific quotes from the trial in each post um, so that you don't have to necessarily watch the whole thing. Um, but all, you, you know, if you don't want cherry picked stuff, which I don't think Unicorn Riot has been cherry picking. I, for the most part, I really think they've been posting almost every question and answer. Um, like there's, it's very extensive and it's pretty much their entire Twitter page at this point. So, um, I'll, I'll recommend that, but yeah, it, I guess it's not terrible to tell everybody to go watch the trials. It's just like most people who are working 40 hours, having kids and, uh, lives, uh, I can see how difficult that would be. And then draw a conclusion, which will be the conclusion of the jury. Um, don't rely solely on media input because they're they're biased and they have an agenda. So much of what the left is... In including the one we're watching right now. ...saying is that you, meaning the white man broadly, the, you white man could never understand what is going on here because you do not have the lived experience of a black man in America. So really, whatever you think you saw on video, that's not the whole story. There are all these implicit and subtle things going on. And we hear that all the time. What about the other side of this though? 
the, the cop perspective <laughs> that I, you know, I was never a police officer. I, I really don't know what it's like to be a cop. This is an area that you certainly have some experience. I mean, he's saying that, but like, even at the George, uh, oh God, I keep messing it up, but, uh, at Derek Chauvin's trial, one of the testimonies came from, uh, not the chief of police. It was someone prior to him. Um, but he was talking about how cops go through traumatic experiences almost every day. So there, and they have cops testifying. Why are we pretending that cops aren't getting their words out? In. Uh, what is that dynamic like that maybe civilians don't quite understand? Well, it's very incredibly, you know, complex to be a police officer, and especially now in America. It's, people have no idea about policing. Even people who support the police have no idea about policing. Yeah. No fault to the and if I'm going to recommend a book on policing, which I haven't read yet, but I've gotten excerpts in a little bit of the audiobooks, so it's it's on my purchasing list waiting, um, is The End of Policing. I'm not sure uh, who the author is, but I'm sure conservatives don't want you to read it because it has a left-wing bias, but um, it goes over the extensive history of policing in America when it started about 1800s, 18, you know, early 1800s late 1800s a lot of police departments started to be built um so you know we went from having just you know um city sheriffs which are elected and everything like that to having established governmental police departments and how they were linked to union busting protection of property including slaves so um yeah if if you don't know enough about uh 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 the history of police in America. I would recommend that book. There's a podcast by Robert Evans called behind the police, which is, uh, another one that would probably be, uh, you know, if you don't have time to read, uh, behind the police by Robert Evans on iHeartRadio uh, is a good audio. Listen, it has uh, a rapper named propaganda on there to also comment on a lot of these things. Uh, I found it enjoyable, but, uh, you know, that's, it's up to you and there's some resources go, Go do with it. Of their own, it's impossible to know unless you're on the street with the uniform. You can smell. You hear the patrol car. You get that fear, that adrenaline runs through your body when it's life and death situations that you deal with every day. Seeing people, you know, in in very bad conditions, having a notified next to kin that the family members are never coming home. Those emotions, that adrenaline, that ex all of that is really tied in the idea that our streets are much like a battlefield and. Also, too, like as far as I can hear is that in a lot of African-American households is that they're having to teach their kids to really like fear the police. And so I feel like, you know, a lot of sentiments that cops can feel in the streets of, you know, wondering, am I going to go home today? Can that not be shared by the African-American citizens at this point that they also, too, when they leave their house, wonder if they're going to make it back home if they see a police car? I have no idea for sure, unfortunately, but. You know, just throwing that out there if we're going to try and be fair and balanced, which we're apparently trying to do while discussing only the cops' fears and emotions. Experience can never be replicated, can never be produced in a book. You have to actually be there. And I think that a lot of people have no idea about policing, which makes them, you know, prejudice in their judgment when they see police officers use force against people or, or have to uh, take people's lives um, by use of deadly force. And one thing that I think could mitigate that, and I would encourage anybody, everybody, unless you're a convicted felon and you can't do this, but I, I, I would like for everybody to try to attempt to do a ride along. You know, when the hmm. when the what? COVID is. Why can't a felon do a ride along? That's very weird to me.
Why why can't a convicted felon do a ride along? You can't vote and you can't do ride alongs with the police. That's weird. Over, I call it the Covey. Um, do a ride along with a police officer because you'll see firsthand how they do traffic stops. Can you see the race of a person in a car, even in broad daylight when you're pulling somebody over? You know, how do you feel as a citizen standing by in the passenger seat while an officer is pursuing somebody, while an officer is engaging in a combative suspect? Um, how do you feel? And then you can only imagine what it's like to have to get out of the car. And I'll tell you this real quick story. I remember I took a lady on a ride along. She was a social justice warrior. Her child and my child went to the same daycare. And I said, come do a ride along with me. She was so terrified. Really? Uh, that she wouldn't even get out of the car on a traffic stop. I'm talking about a person getting a speeding ticket. She refused to get out of the car. She stayed in the car. She was afraid. She was terrified. And at the end of the day, I was able to convince her that, see, you know nothing about policing and you may want to think twice before you misjudge them. This is such an important point because I, I actually sometimes when people bring up, usually it's liberals bringing up. It's funny because uh, even the the. Uh, Chauvin's defense had asked uh, the chief of police of Minneapolis of um, it, whether or not it happens pretty often that uh, a traffic stop can, or, or whether or not it happens often that a traffic stop turns violent. And he he wanted him to agree to the often part, but he said it can. So, I mean, there's always a possibility of you pulling over somebody who has a warrant and is not willing to go to jail. But to assume that of everybody is, you know, that's almost the, the whole guilty until proven innocent rather than the other way around. So. Up all these hidden aspects of racial and sexual relations, I give it a little bit of credence in that I think, well, yeah, I mean, maybe there's many experiences that I haven't had. Their culture matters a great deal. So, okay, I'm sorry. I mean, and, you know, the... Police departments, from a little bit of understanding, especially with the ones in the South, a lot of them are built on, like, racist foundations, and a lot of, like, the Baltimore police are really tied to, um, you know, back in the 1860s, uh, capturing escaped slaves and bringing them back to their masters, um, and you know, maybe in some aspects, a lot of that has left a lot of their police officers. Not every police officer is, you know, not every single one is probably racist. But in the case of uh, Ahmoud Aubrey, the um, gentleman who was murdered last year, or, you know, basically lynched, and how uh, that was a former police officer who had shot him with a shotgun, uh, both of them being former police officers. And also the police department basically deputizing these people to police those streets and that case not having any accountability or consequences coming to the people who uh needlessly murdered uh arbery that's racist like that's that's the systemic and that's the police racism that most people are really looking for like trying to eliminate so while maybe not every case is it just like the more and more we don't hold accountability the more and more racist people will want to become cops and then we will see the problem continue uh to get worse sort of interested in that but shouldn't we have that same humility when we're talking about cops i mean co cops are doing a, a very technical job that you have to train to do that requires an immense amount of focus and discipline and j just like I would never uh, and that's why we need to like really focus in on the type of people who were giving that training and giving that focus to all right so it's a very technical job it's a very necessary job but are we giving it to the right types of people for the right kind of reasons
try to tell a biologist how to do his job. I would never tell a carpenter how to do his job. I might be interested, I might oversee these things, I might try to study up on it, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't just start spouting off. Likewise, don't you think we need to give a little bit of grace to, to cops? Yeah, you know, honestly, I think that this should be a curriculum in, in the uh, grade school. It's a, a man was murdered by police, and shouldn't we be really concerned about, like, how police are doing? Are they okay? Are they all right? People to understand policing in America, and from a, a impartial basis, meaning having a police officer. I remember when I was young, they used to have dare and all this stuff, and yeah. teaching people about obeying, obeying the laws. And they need to have police officers come to the classroom and talk to young children and explain to them, "Well, I'm a resource for you to call when you call. What? This is what happens. This is my job." What? So children can grow up understanding the truth from police officers. And I'll, I'll say that. that's a level of indoctrination. But like, if we're going to be fair and balanced, we should also have somebody who was wrongfully convicted for a crime because evidence was planted on him by police. Like if we're going to be fair and balanced to the experience of the justice system, we should also have it when the cops fuck up because they have too much authority and power. So like, let's not just focus in on getting kids to like police. We should also have them aware that a lot of authority, or what, what, what did Uncle Ben say? Uh, uh, you know, responsibility and power or something like that. Great responsibility, great power, something like that, you know? This because this is the biggest misconception, and I, and I still don't understand how people get to this conclusion, is that law enforcement is racist. Like. I think the profession of law enforcement is probably the least racist profession in America. Mm. Mm. And that, like, and then you bring up, like, the fact that, like, you know, the incarceration of black people are uh, disproportionate to the amount of white people. But then you, of course, even if you bring that up, they're going to be like, well, it's black culture's fault. Oh, yep. Okay. And, and why do you say this, Mr. Tatum? It's because we are not concerned about your race we get exposed yeah except for like michael brown's case is like a perfect one where like the cops pulled michael brown aside because the description of the suspect was a black man that was literally the 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 description of michael brown before he was killed that's all they were looking for they the 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 woman who made the 911 call did not describe his clothes she did not describe his hair she didn't describe his height just that he was black. Exposed to great people of all races and also terrible people of all races. We are trained, we are surviving on character and mm. not race at all. And so I wish people would understand that. Also, police patrol in jurisdictions, they don't just log in one day and go to the black community and harass black people. Yeah. Like, that's, there's a precinct in that community and you only, uh, you know, police in that precinct. And you know how district lines have also been kind of blamed for gerrymandering, you know, in how like uh, we collect votes. So when you redraw district lines for votes and draw off a black community from a certain district, making it more difficult for them to vote, does that same relining of the districts follow into the police code? Because that makes me wonder, because you can focus districtly on black communities. You really can in this country. Like redlining and um, uh, gener gerrymandering really focused in on getting black communities to be black communities. So um, we're ignoring a little bit of context uh, again. And if you police on the north side, you would never interact with these people on the south side. So it's not some big police department that's conspiring against the black community. So 
Some of them might be because, like I said, there's a sheriff's department in uh, Los Angeles that has a group of them called the Executioners. Um, and, you know, who who knows to what extent that might be across all of America. I, I wish that people would, would understand that. The Do Executioners are literally like blocks down from Disney World. Like, it's crazy, crazy to me. Not Disney World, Disneyland in, in, in California, which is wild. It's just so wild. Like, you have this beautiful, expensive area that white people get to live out their disney dreams and then like just a few blocks down you have the executioners of the sheriff's department that's wow Ugh. doing a ride along listening to police officers actually speak on these topics would be the best form of education i, I love this for the cops perspective but honestly you should also listen to the stories of wrongfully convicted uh felons or just people who were wrongfully convicted by First the police, and then by the justice system. So we should hear that as well if we're going to get the the cop story. Education component, too, because there was a time not so long ago in America when students were taught civics. Now students are taught sort of anti-civics, but they're taught their country. I wasn't taught civics at all. I don't know what he means by kids are being taught anti-civics. Country is awful and their system of laws are unjust, but... okay. Yeah, I'm sure that's being taught in elementary school through high school. Yeah, I'm sure. Like, I, 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 my public education was incredibly American exceptionalist. Like, you know, we did slavery and that was wrong, but we made right by it. We made right and we freed all the slaves and we're so fucking amazing for it. Like, that was my, that was my public education. What, what was yours? When you're learning about civics, you, you really ought to learn about the whole country all the way up to the president and the structure of government and the constitution, but all the way down to how that system of justice and laws are enforced all the way. Like, were you taught in public education that even after the civil war, Abraham Lincoln had to send army, uh, army units down to the South to make sure that the slave masters freed their slaves. Did, were you familiar with that? I think it was like, um, I think it was like a whole year after the civil war had ended that he had to send national guard troops down there. Uh, to to make sure that people's freedom was being given to them. That wasn't taught to me. I, I learned that decades upon decades later. So that's just crazy. Way down to the police officers who are actually doing the day-to-day -day work on the streets. It, it probably would uh, would increase our understanding and our healing and our compassion, whatever words that the left uses that they never seem to r really believe in. I feel like to only have real healing and compassion that the left so desperately wants from the right wing is for them to actually acknowledge the wrongful doings, which they continually refuse to do. Like, it's always, oh, that was just the times. That's just how people were back then. We can't judge people based off the times that they lived in. How are we going to do any better when you keep apologizing for them? Like, ugh. Now, I agree that's the way things should work. Do you have any hope? Uh, you know, you spend a lot of time in politics. Obviously, you've, you've spent time as a police officer. Do you have any hope that that's actually what's going to happen? Just so you know, commentating on the news like I'm doing now, like they do for a living as well, um, that's not being in politics. It's absolutely not. It's not. It's like That's like saying a sports commentator is like really in sports. I don't know. Like they're, they're, they're knowledgeable of the players and of the plays, but they're not in politics. They, they're, they're, they're honestly so removed from like any consequences of actually being political that like, no, don't, don't say that. I'm not 
into politics i just you know spit on it from time to time you guys are not in politics you just shit on it from time to time or not so much well i think in increments you know uh in, in, in isolated situations i think overall uh we're doomed because <laughs> hey, we we've, we've allowed you know biden to be become the president of the united states of america and oh my god that is nice nice dude honestly nice this guy could have like he just dog whistled stop the steal stop the steal we allowed joe biden to become president you guys didn't allow joe biden to become president you guys didn't allow the senate to go democrat and you guys did not allow for the house to also stay democrat dominated you guys lost because you had a very shitty leader front-heading your radical far-right movement that a lot of Republicans, moderate Republicans, wanted absolutely nothing to do with. You guys are not losing because you're weak. You're losing because you have bad policies that don't represent the most of this country. And that his administration and all of these people are going to ram um, unjustifiable legislation down our throats. And, and if... You know, if Such we would have taken that position, we should have done the same thing to them. We drug our feet when we had the House of Senate and the president. So yep. with, with him in place. Yeah, yeah, they drug their feet when they stormed the Capitol because they didn't like Mike Pence not falling in line. Yeah, that's dragging your feet, isn't it? Place, they're going to ram some things down our throats that's that's irreversible. However, like a big um, individuals dick. like you and I on small scales can educate people and inspire them to be informed on their own. Some schools are- Which is funny because right-wing like education is misinformation. Like, wonderful. Like, by literally indoctrinating people into a specific political party of a specific uh, indoctrination, that's their form of education, is letting you know that the conservative party is just common sense going to adopt this principle uh some universities will adopt this principle meaning some professors and with turning point and prager you and all of these other organizations that are out doing the nonprofit work are going to help and, and I, I i fail to mention blexit as well are yep. going to help to help Convince. people wake up who are willing Convince. you know everybody's not going to want to learn the truth everybody's not going to want Convince. to uh be informed as you know who probably also thought they were waking up people do you want to know? I can't remember his name now. Oh, man, that sucks. He woke me up so much, I forgot his name. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember his name. That's so funny. Uh, I should be ashamed of myself for not remembering his name. Um, where, where, where is this? Where is this guy's name? I can't believe I can't. Oh. Uh, where is it? Where is it? There's a picture of him. Um, yeah, Jesus, I can't believe I, I, I could remember David, but David Koresh. David Koresh also believed he was waking people up. Um, uh, Charles Manson also believed he was waking people up. Jim Jones <laughs> thought he was waking people up. And you know what happened to all of their followers? They sacrificed themselves for a movement that was not really concerned for them at all. And welcome to the conservative party. That's boom. What a beautiful leap into logic. That was ugh. It's a free individual, but for those who want it, the opportunities will present themselves in a greater way in the future. I I like, that's honestly some cult talk. Like like very subtle, not not huge like big cult talk, but it was cult talk nonetheless. Once you see the truth, there's no going back. You will be awake, and once you're awake, you can change the dream.
have to say, I appreciate your characteristic bluntness when you say we are doomed. You know, it reminds me of the uh, liberal economist, uh, John Maynard Keynes, who says in the long run, we're all dead. That's true. But hopefully <laughs> I, I think you're right. I mean, there's a very conservative principle that gradually you can make incremental change, especially in your. That's actually Joe Biden's position. Like he, you know, he, he argued against having radical policies in, in exchange for incremental change, which he thinks is the best for this country. So that's funny that he thinks that it's a conservative thing now, even though that's literally what Joe Biden ran out of, ran off of your local community and your family. I mean, I love that story you tell about bringing some crazy social justice warrior that you knew because of your kid's preschool, bringing her on a ride along because you could actually show her something that, that really you, you can't quite do through a podcast or through a speech, maybe occasionally, but that personal interaction is going to be really, really important. And everybody has the ability to- I mean, you could say that literally for anything. Like- you could say like you can, you know, skydiving is nothing like actually skydiving it. You can't get it from a podcast or from a video or from uh, dreaming about it. Like you have to actually skydive. You could literally do that for any subject of any profession of any one. So you, you don't know, like it's, it's that it's like that cliche saying, like you don't know me until you've walked a mile in my shoes to, to do that, no matter how crazy things get. And I think you're absolutely right. I think things are going to get a whole lot crazier. Brandon, where can people find you? Uh, Why would you think that things are going to get a whole lot crazier? Like, what are you, wh what are you assuming that off of? Theofficertatum.com, theofficertatum, T-H-E, officertatum.com. You can find everything I do, whether it's, whether it's social media, whether it's my store, whether it's my website, all of those things will be at that one spot. Not a Officer Tatum. There is only one. There is only the <laughs> Officer Tatum. Uh, go, yes, go. There was a police officer listening to this segment who got offended by that. Like, no, I am also Officer Tatum. Check out Brandon there. Thank you, sir. I really appreciate it. it really helped, uh, I think, shed a lot of light on something where the, the left wants to keep their narrative as the only narrative. Brandon Tatum. I don't even think I agree with most of the liberal narrative and i was pretty clear about that but at least here on the other side of the video there was a little bit of hopefully provocative critical thinking to be more skeptic towards uh most of this right-wing fuckery so uh yeah that's that's talks news uh, thank you for joining me follow me on twitter um the video for uh, i'll include a link to the youtube channel because i'm incredibly hard to find and that's the way i like it and uh like subscribe uh dislike rate review share um and i don't know live in the moment and um i'll see you next time i i i, I, got, I got nothing else to offer you you just you just go be free use your autonomy